Welcome to the Mad Max Minute, where the trees have the high ground in Mad Max Fury Road, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 69. Nice. Which begins with Max and the wives jamming the engine panels under the tanker's wheels. And it ends with the Dag asking if anyone else can see and hear the approaching warlord. Rounding out the week with us are our resident arborists, Jonathan Carlisle and David Johnson from the UHF 62nd podcast. Excellent. <laughs> Snip, snip. <laughs> so you guys are experts in trees, right? Uh, those things? Yes. Those things. <laughs> I'll tell you what David means. He means the thing over there. Good. That's right. When we last left our intrepid group of heroes, they were jamming the engine panels underneath the wheels of the tanker in an effort to get the war rig unstuck. And as we start today's minute... Furiosa is up in the cab. She swings that door closed and Max does that bang on the side of the vehicle thing to let her know that she can give it a go. And I love how that's just a universal thing that everybody knows you bang on the side of the vehicle and that means you can go. It either means that or it means someone fell under the wheel. Don't go. I think that's three knocks. If you only do two knocks, it means go. If you go for a third, that means don't go. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> it's a really messed up system because you could hear two and then go and not hear the third and then you're running people over. <laughs> but if you knock three times, it means that they want you. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Or is that just on the pipe? No, no, I no, feel it's, like it's a bit universal. You knock three times. On the ceiling. But it's twice on the pipe if it's something else. I know with two blasts, it's rangers returning. No, no, no. One blast is rangers returning. Two is wildlings. Honestly, I'm getting we so turned around. We are mixing our references like I crazy. Three times it conjured uh, the Candyman. Something like that. No, three times a lady. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad we got that sorted out so yeah, that third no one is possibly confused. <laughs> As Furiosa gives it the gas, the wheels on the tanker, they're able to get a little bit of movement, but they're not able to escape. And then we do a smash cut to the bullet farmer from the bullet farm. And he is tooling right along. And it is so unfair that his awesome (laughs) tank car thing is having such an easy time at this. Meanwhile, our heroes are struggling. I love that there is one vehicle out of all of these that is like, yeah, no problem. I got this. No problem, bruh. I'll take care of it for you. Yeah. I mean, it's too bad that it's on the enemy's side, but it's pretty cool. Hmm. I like how they've got this spotlight and they keep going back and forth, which is not to say that they couldn't find something, but there are tracks right in front of them. Mm Mm-hmm. You would assume that you would keep heading, which they are. They're still heading following the tracks, but I I guess they're just looking for people running around, maybe? That's a good question. I really don't know. I kind of feel like the bullet farmer has a flair for the dramatic. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So he just likes to cut a wide swath wherever he goes. Yeah, I think it's important to remember that the bullet farmer is not the one driving this vehicle. That the person who's actually in charge of driving, right around second... 16 we've got that shot that is going up over the front of the peacemaker up to where the spotlight is and that little pocket right in the middle of what used to be the engine cavity on the body of the car that they slapped on top of this tank thing the driver is sitting down in there they can basically see straight ahead 
so they can see the tracks and they can follow the tracks. And I wonder if they're sweeping the spotlight back and forth because the two Imperators behind the bullet farmer from the bullet farm are trying to keep an eye and just in case they get blindsided by another rogue group. The folks from the bullet farm were not around when the buzzards attacked, but maybe they just have a healthy respect for the wasteland that the aggressor can come from any direction. And so they need to keep those heads on a swivel. It's a good point about people coming from other directions, because I think next week, as we're still in this quagmire area, there are other people out there. Mm hmm. And they don't play a role at all, and they're completely unexplained, and we'll definitely get to that. <laughs> but it theoretically, it is possible for inhabitants to attack them. I don't think it's next week. I think it's the week it's after. the week after? Yeah. But everybody knows who you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. I do have to say, though, uh, you make a good point about being uh, vigilant, but if I was the driver of that tank... Man, that's got to be really annoying to keep having that light flick back and forth across your view because, you know, he is, you know, he's following the tire tracks, I guess, but, you know, they need to watch out for people coming from either side, but they also need to, like, I just wonder how dark it is out there from his vantage point, the driver's vantage point, because they're going at pretty much top speed, it looks like, and, uh, you know, he's only getting light like once every three or four seconds. And if all of a sudden they come up on something, you know, he's he's not going to see it. He's going to have to lay on the brakes pretty quick. I don't know, man. I that's uh, seems like they could have afforded one more light in that vehicle. I mean, I understand cinematically it looks really cool, but practically it's a little ridiculous that they only have the spotlight. And to say nothing of the driver's night vision. Like, if you're perpetually in a dark situation, your eyes are going to adjust. But if you've got this bright spotlight that's flicking across your view, your eyes aren't going to be able to adjust the same way as if there was no spotlight. Mm -hmm. And so he's probably sitting there in the driver's seat, peering over the wheel like, I wish they would quit it with the frickin' spotlight. Just pick a direction and point it and all that nonsense. The Imperators and drivers that work for these triumvirate guys, that's got to be a tough position. Trying to get the bullet farmer to uh, hold that uh, spotlight study is like pulling teeth. <laughs> oh, yes! Thank you. That was brilliant. <laughs> We're going to cut back to the war rig real quick because Furiosa is still fighting with the mud before we cut back to the peacemaker where the bullet farmer from the bullet farm has pulled out his revolvers here and they are described on the internet movie firearms database as Colt single action army revolvers bunt line special B U N T L I N E bunt line specials, which is why they are so ridiculously long. And he's just indiscriminately firing it into the dark. It's like something you'd see on Looney Tunes. Kind of like a Yosemite Sam situation. Exactly. <laughs> so these, uh -huh. so these shots are not angry shots. These are just regular shots. Right. He's only got he's only got one angry shot. These are ill-tempered shots. Hmm. They're not fully angry. <laughs> Maybe just perturbed. <laughs> Frustrated. Yes. <laughs> They're perturbed patoos. <laughs> <laughs> One thing's for sure, uh. they're loud, because we've been watching the Peacemaker ripping its way across the landscape, and he's just started firing off these shots, and we go back to Joe. Joe hears these, and he's like, what in tarnation's going on? 
<laughs> well, he doesn't know that they're not angry shots. So he's like, "There's that was two. I counted two. Mm-hmm. He lied to me. Not only does Joe hear it, but Furiosa hears it as well. And then we cut back to the bullet farmer from the bullet farm. And his imperator is leaning over his shoulder like, excuse me, boss. Uh, <laughs> the people eater told you not to, to shoot the assets. You got to be careful. And I'm like, what a buzzkill. <laughs> this guy has to be the worst. <laughs> uh, chapter 12, paragraph 5, said so that uh, we shouldn't shoot the wives. <laughs> <laughs> but I love the bullet farmer's response where he says, ah, just probing. Probing with bullets. The way he says it, too, is definitely just like a, leave me alone. I know what I'm doing. I don't go down into the lead mines and knock the shovel out of your hands. Don't do it to me. <laughs> <laughs> is he uh, just trigger happy? I mean, obviously, they have bullets aplenty. Mm -hmm. uh, I assume he's just always sampling. <laughs> it's a shame. The saying goes, you don't get high on your own supply. Yeah, he definitely gets high on his own supply. For sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, there's not even anybody around from uh, Gastown or from the Citadel to show off to. It's yeah. just him and his guys out there, and he's, yeah. Having heard all of this shooting, Furiosa has emerged from the rig, and she's pulled out the long rifle again. This is the same one that she used to fight off the rock riders and shoot the guys that were pursuing them on the motorcycle. She figured, hey, I shot through two guys at once. We got more pursuers. I'll just do it again. Easy peasy pumpkin pie. But before she has a chance to shoot at this spotlight that's just sweeping across the wasteland, the rig starts moving and Furiosa turns and is like, oh, what's going on? And then she sees Max and the other wives get revealed. And I love this whole curtain pull situation because you almost imagine Furiosa and Max like pointing at each other to be like, I thought you were. No, I thought you were. <laughs> you mean you're not? No. If not you, then who? Yeah, it is a great moment. I wish they would have let it breathe for like one more beat because when I saw this for the first time, you know, I'd kind of lost track of how many people there were and and what was going on. I didn't I didn't really catch this. Now it's it's a nice little hidden nugget that every time I watch it, it it gets more funny and it is it's a really great comedic uh <laughs> thing but it's easy to kind of uh skip over for me it was easy i didn't recognize it maybe even until the second or third time i watched it and i caught that little uh it's pretty good but it's it's very subtle yeah it's very tight yeah i have to agree that the more you see it the funnier it gets because i didn't notice until you pointed it out rick but now that i'm watching it over and over again i'm like this is this is beautiful yeah yeah i agree i think one more beat would have let it blossom yeah because it's great the way they just take off running. <laughs> yep, well, there's nothing else to do at that point. They can't <laughs> afford to be left behind. I wonder what they are thinking, because they seem surprised that the war boy is there. So do they just take inventory and they think that, uh, that one of the wives just decided to take off with it? Or, or maybe the the little gas gas pedal stopper just locked itself in somehow? Or It's kind of a clue situation where they have to do some math in their heads real quick. Be like, okay. Let's see. Uh, there's Max and Toast and Cheeto and Furiosa's over here. Is, is cap gets Capables back in the rig or something like that? They don't have to run too far, though, before we hear Capable up in the rig. And she's shouting out, he wants to help. Playing the pronoun game, as those guys over on Cinema Sins like to say. <laughs> and as we get a shot of Toast the Dag and Furiosa running after the rig... I put it in my notes that it's Furiosa who shouts who, but I think 
for some reason it's also toast? I don't know. I might have labeled it wrong. Someone yells who? And Capable fires back with the war boy. And it's definitely Toast who says, wait, where did he come from? And the dag's like, I thought we threw him off the rig. And I'm like, yeah, you technically did until he was thrown back onto the rig. <laughs> oh, this poor guy's just getting thrown around all day. Yeah. <laughs> I like that they have an entire conversation while chasing the rig. We don't get a lot of continuous back and forths, like actual conversation. And so it's amusing that one of those times is while they're chasing after the rig. It's uh, interesting to me that Capable, like, neglected to tell anybody until the... I mean, I know they've been busy trying to get out of the quagmire and whatnot, but um, yeah, it just seems like a very jarring way. Everybody's on edge. You're literally fleeing for your lives. Here's the guy. Nobody's really sure of his allegiances. He's not even, you know, completely sure of his allegiance, maybe, or has only been sure of his allegiance for, you know, the past several minutes or, or hours. Uh, it just seems like a very hairy situation to be like, oh, yeah, by the way, you know, it seems like she could have introduced this new information to the rest of the gang a little bit more um, softer, I guess, or more, uh, you know, it seems like a volatile situation. It doesn't go that way. It almost does. Uh, it just seems like capable wasn't really very capable at breaking this news or, or um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, breaking the news, I guess. <laughs> Or maybe she's very good at it because we think, okay, so if he shows his face first, it's, he might get a face full of bullets or, or something before they can explain themselves. Uh, so it, this is kind of a hidden reveal, you know, uh, gives him a little bit of time to get some words out before anything drastic happens. Plus, he, he is showing himself to be capable and advantageous to the group if, you know, he just got this thing moving and then he gets it stuck again. But, uh, you know, it's kind of like, Kind of like a, a, a quick uh, resume, like, here, I can drive this thing. Mm. Then before they even figure out who they're talking to. When we were sitting in the rig last week and Capable was in the back seat with the lamp, Julia, you noticed that she had a twinkle in her eye that she had a secret. Yes, she very much did. Mm. She could have said, oh, hey, by the way, I found a war boy on the back of the tanker. <laughs> it's the one that we tossed off and then he's just back there again somehow just you know thought you all would like to know david i think it was you that pointed out that his reveal is showing himself to be useful rather than being a hanger on and that's probably a good thing i wish that we had gotten some like background images of him moving from the back of the tanker to the front of the tanker i think that would have been cool because we've seen those in the past as Nux is maneuvering around from back to front, front to back, wherever. That if you look in the background, you can see him. So I kind of wish we had gotten a little bit of that. That would have been amusing. Like a wide shot with Nux crawling along the top or something like that. Yeah. I think that, that would have ruined the little curtain pull moment. But it would have been a fun shot to see all of them. To have to see the whole war rig at one time and see everybody down below kind of messing around with the tires and then see him crawling forward at the top while they're kind of going backwards or something. Yeah. And, by the way, in this moment, he has fulfilled his lifelong desire, his goal to drive the rig. Yeah. He said when he and Max, I guess, technically captured Furiosa, he's like, oh, I could ask for anything. I could drive the war rig. And you know, here he is driving the war rig. 
And Max has his jacket, so everything's good. Check that off his little bucket list there. (laughs) But it's very Mm short-lived. Because as soon as they make a little bit of headway, they get stuck in the mud again. And Max throws that door open and points a gun right at Nux. And he's got his hand up and he's like, no, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. I had a good plan. (laughs) (laughs) And he points out that there is high ground just beyond that thing. And Capable pops in and she's like, he means the tree. (laughs) I think my first time watching this was when I kind of realized that maybe the wives had some education. Yeah, I I certainly didn't pick up on all the subtleties of the other characters and, you know, Miss Giddy being their teacher, all that kind of stuff. But I was like, oh, so these wives, even though they seem to grow up in this dome and maybe secluded, but they seem to know what things are. They've opened up a book before and they've seen a tree, which is definitely something that these war boys that have lived and grown up in this deserty wasteland, they just don't know what a tree is. They've never seen one. They've never encountered it. And they do get to see at the Citadel, I mean, the tops of the spires are covered in green. Yeah. But they never get to, like, get a close look at that. And they may never even be told, like, oh, yeah, those are trees. Those are fruit trees and whatnot. They may never get to actually eat from the fruit trees and enjoy them and understand what a tree is. It's just the green stuff at the top of the spire. They're just like, that's a tree. Can I drive it? (laughs) (laughs) And the tree in question is not that healthy looking. It's rather scraggly looking. (laughs) It's not a handsome tree. It's kind of like a Charlie Brown Christmas tree. Mm. We only ever get to see this place at night, which is stereotypically foggy and, and overcast and dull in general. I guess, considering the condition of the tree, I kind of think it's like this a lot, Mm. most of the time, that it's not getting enough sunlight to actually grow and flourish. Or it's not pulling enough nutrients from the ground to produce a bud for a leaf. Yeah, I mean, the ground could be, like, irradiated, maybe a low-level irradiation. I mean, it's still, it hasn't rotted away. It still has some amount of strength to it. It's just not producing leaves or fruit or anything. Yeah. So maybe like a low level radiation. Like the ground is poisoned or it went Mm. sour or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what, uh, I have around my house in, in my yard, I have a little baby like maple tree or it started as a little baby maple tree. And I don't know what's going on with it, but I've just left it alone because it's kind of fun to just watch it over the years. It's slowly getting bigger. And it always produces leaves, although they get brown really quick. But it's not dead. It's not dying. It's not going away. It's just very slowly growing. And I have no idea. It doesn't get any shade. So that's one thing, I think. Get a lot of sun, you know, direct sun, I guess, in in that area of the yard. But if it gets big enough to match this tree, I almost imagine it just looking gross like that all the time. And then I might have to do something with it if it actually draws a crowd. I'm like, oh, what is that thing? It's a tree. Yeah, no one has paid any special attention to this tree in particular. They haven't pruned it. They haven't cut back the smaller branches to allow more nutrients to flow to the big branches or anything like that. It's just there. And it will remain there until it fulfills the purposes that it needs to. And then we will leave it behind. (laughs) (laughs) So Max has Nux at gunpoint and Furiosa is making a decision here. She's poised to defend against the people that are advancing on them. But then 
she stops and she turns around and she goes up to Max and she's like, here, let me keep an eye on him. And I'm going to wonder why Furiosa is taking the gun from Max to keep an eye on Nux. I'm very curious to see what happens in minute 70, kind of the follow up to this, because this happens so late in the minute that I think what happens next is very important. I do like the casualness with which they switch places. Mm-hmm. It's another indicator that they are now a team and they trust each other. But it feels like a setup of, here, you take the rifle. As if she's saying that they would be more effective in opposite places, mm-hmm. which isn't true. She has proven herself extremely capable and accurate with that rifle. She should be the one holding it. She should be the one sniping the vehicle in pursuit. Yeah. Well, it's still her rig, you know, more than his rig. And there's some strange guy in her driver's seat. And it's also a guy, a a male, you know, that she's not familiar with and certainly not comfortable with that's around all these women. And I think she's... Um, yeah, this might be, she's, uh, she definitely makes this trade off, you know, with, uh, uh, she's deliberately doing this, but I wonder if internally she is a little conflicted about it because, uh, you know, she is trying now she's, she's trying to protect them from people coming at them, uh, from the rear, but she's also, um, not sure about this guy who's in front of them. And so it's a snap decision. The war boy is closer. He's more immediate. So she's got to deal with that first, I guess, maybe. Plus, this is the guy that also sprung up behind her and threw a chain around her neck and tried to choke her. (laughs) (laughs) I like the idea. This guy. Yeah. I like the idea that this is kind of personal for her. He is representative of the organization that she is fleeing. He is in her driver's seat, driving her rig, that she is personally defending her rig. Hmm. I think that Capable told him that that thing was a tree, and maybe that's a closely guarded secret, and she's like, oh, I might have to take care of this guy. <laughs> <laughs> no one can know the secret druidic words and phrases. <laughs> the secret of the trees. <laughs> no one is allowed to identify the tree unless they are part of the traditions of the tree keepers. I won't speak for the rest of the movie. Maybe the imagined rest of the movie that we imaginedly haven't seen at this point. But uh, maybe <laughs> after this point, he just calls everything that he doesn't know what it is a tree. <laughs> Look at that. Look at that tree crawling around. No, that's a cat. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't love this inserted into the movie, but I would love a little sketch of Nux walking around and like, giving his own names for things and then capable being like no that's this thing or no that's that thing nux is kind of like the little mermaid you know he's walking around the wasteland he's like oh look at this stuff isn't it neat you want thingamabobs i've got 20 and then capable's like those are corkscrews you use them to unscrew corks (laughs) and then immortan joe comes in and just destroys all of the trinkets in the little cavern that seems accurate. Mm. I can see a Morton Joe and Ursula getting along pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what the mask is for. He's stealing everybody's voice. Mm. Using it for his own. Got a little knob on the side. He can make himself sound like different people. It's a voice modulator, kind of like Mission Impossible. So the dag here at the end of the minute, she turns around. She's right here in the forefront of the shot. And she asks, I want to 
identify it as like a rhetorical question, but she's kind of like, does anybody notice that bright light and the encroaching gunfire? It's like, yeah, of course everybody notices it, but no one else is really reacting to it. I think she's calling attention like, hey, we need to worry about this immediate problem, please. Well, they already did react to it. Like Furiosa was paying attention to it and was like walking towards it and getting ready to do something. And then they got distracted by something else. This is not a revelation. I think she's asking everybody to refocus. <laughs> I think she's being creepy. This isn't the first time. <laughs> the dag be creepy? I know. This isn't the first time that she's behaved this way. The first time that we saw it, back when they had taken their water break, mm. and. Oh, I can't even remember exactly what she said. She says, Angherit, is that the wind or a furious vexation? Yes. So she's got this way of speaking and. I don't know. It's very creepy. <laughs> it's an aside. It's almost like flirting with the idea of breaking the fourth wall. She's almost addressing the audience. And it's a very strange choice. And I, I don't really know what to make of it. I don't I kind of don't like it. There's very few things in this film in general that I don't like. Very few. I mean, it doesn't bother me that much. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. But it just it's kind of it's a little off putting because I'm not sure why these two little things exist. Is it a little too personal? <laughs> to, to, to me, that doesn't bother me personally. But like, <laughs> it, it's like the, it's like the dag is getting right up in your face. She's dominating the frame here. She's yeah. like, ah, oh, say anybody noticed that? And it's like, you're like getting right up on me. And it's like too close for comfort. <laughs> yeah. I think it's meant to address the audience more than the, the rest of the cast. And I, and I, I don't understand that choice or I could be reading it wrong. I don't know. I noticed that she kind of looks like a war boy in this lighting. She's very white and pale. Mm -hmm. And then she's got these bags under her eyes and even her nose like Nux has like, I don't know what the deal is with his nose, but it's like black tipped. And her nose even is in, like, shadow, and it looks a bit black-tipped. So she looks a little skeletal to you? Definitely. Plus with those cheekbones and the hair. She does look very skeletal. But yeah, I think she looks like a war boy. And I agree. I think she is talking to the audience. Not exactly sure what purpose it serves. I mean, we don't need to be reminded that they're back there. We know very well that they're back there. I would say the first time I watched it, it kind of takes you out, but it gives... Her a characterization that's different than the others, but it also, I don't know that they, they don't really ca characterize any of the wives as dim or dumb necessarily. And I think this is a, a way to do it with maybe you have one of the wives that isn't, isn't as present as everybody else, mm. but she's not dumb. You know, she's using words that are, you know, certainly beyond that thing. Maybe it's a way of giving you the dizzy blonde of the group without making her an actual just dizzy blonde. Hmm. She strikes me not so much as a Regina George or a Gretchen or a whatever the third one is called, the one played by Amanda Seyfried. Like she doesn't strike me as a plastic. She strikes me as more of like a Luna Lovegood from the Harry Potter books. Yeah. Yes. Very smart, but a little absent. Like spacey. Yes. I would also use the word ethereal. To describe the dag. I like the Luna Lovegood comparison. I mean, there are some physical similarities with the with the very pale hair. Yeah. Of course. Uh, but if anybody in this movie is going to suddenly start talking about Nargles, it's going to be the dag. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I would not be surprised. 
at all. But that pretty much brings us to the end of Minute 69. We have gone 0 for 4 on Minute 69 of a movie being particularly saucy in nature. (laughs) (laughs) From the first movie to the last, you always say, oh, Minute 69, that's going to be the the salacious minute. Never is. Never is. (laughs) But that's all right. We don't need it to be. Because it's not that kind of movie series. No, thank goodness. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) One movie that you probably also wouldn't cast in the salacious column would be the movie UHF. Jonathan and David, could you tell our lovely listeners a little bit more about that movie that you guys are talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Real quick before that, though, I'm going to have a people eater moment here and I'm going to count the cost. I uh, keep a record of every movie that I see, where I see it, who I see it with. So um, I'm not really sure why I do this, but as long as I have done it, I am going to let everybody know that I saw Fury Road on May 23rd, 2015 at Marcus Palace Cinema uh, off of Mineral Point Road at 12.20 p.m. in 3D with my wife, Mandy. All right. So there you go. (laughs) Everybody can update their spreadsheets. Yeah. Um, But yeah, UHF 62nd is what we're calling our podcast. We were talking about the 1989 Weird Al Yankovic film uh, UHF. uh, And you should look for uh, episodes dropping in 2022. Um, or 2023, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, like we said on Monday, you've got to let them age and mature for a full-bodied taste. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there are a couple of teaser episodes up um, so that you guys can, uh, you know, spend the next uh, half decade in anticipation. <laughs> um, and if you go to uhf62nd.com, you can uh, find our website and listen to those teaser episodes and subscribe to us so that you will not see any updates for the next couple of years. I'm looking forward to seeing the episode drop where you guys just come in and say, I see you shiver with anticipate. And then you just let the episode go for another <laughs> like 10 minutes of silence and then cut off the episode. <laughs> wait a couple of months. Come back. 10 <laughs> minutes of silence. Patient. <laughs> That's basically what we've already done. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the first half of it. I think we have thoroughly screwed up all of the iTunes uh, analytics for you know, <laughs> as far as them releasing us as any new podcast or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's Apple Podcasts for you, though. As for us, we are going to be coming back on Monday. Max is going to take a few shots in the dark. Furiosa is going to get the job done. And Nux is going to grab the thing to wrap around the other thing so they can pull the other thing out of the place. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 69 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time. Nice. Nice.